Well, welcome to the Maris Review. Thanks, I'm so Maris. Yay! I'm so happy to be here with Lauren Meckling. She's a contributor at Vogue, who I've seen around the publishing world for many, many years now. Yes. And she's the author of How Could She, which is her first novel for adults. Welcome. Thanks. Yay. I love your podcast. Thank you. Um, we were just talking about how your book is about three main characters who work in media or around media. Correct. And people are starting to do that sex in the city thing where they say, well, I'm a Carrie. <laughs> I'm a Miranda. Yes. Yes. Which is so fun. And it's fun because the characters who people relate to are often not the ones who I would connect them with. But I then I it's a game I play in my head where I think about the the strange the nuances that I've written into each of the characters yes. and then I realize oh that one actually is quite she she often gets quite depressed or she's quite you know touched by these strange things that she sees on the street and then I'll it'll make more sense so, yeah. yeah yeah so I was say, I mean I yeah. was saying I'm a Rachel but I don't have children which yeah. means that I'm neurotic but also uh creative and like you're well giving Rachel's very giving. She's sort giving. of a busybody, and she cares and worries about other people. And know. then I'm a bit of a Geraldine. Well, yes, you have your beautiful new podcast. Yes, I do. Not Ooh. to spoil it, but yeah, yes. we're gonna we're gonna we'll talk about the, the idea that we are talking on a podcast right now after you've written this book. <laughs> it's <laughs> wild. Yes, it's, and then yeah. of course there's Sunny, who I I just told you is the character. My poor little Jewish soul could not relate at all, but I wanted to so much. Sunny is that shiny woman. Everyone has a Sunny. Yes. A person who exists to inspire us and taunt us and be just a little out of reach and to represent the life we don't have. Absolutely. And so do you want to just give us a brief description about the, of the book? Tell us. Yeah. yeah. So How Could She is a novel about the trouble with female friendship. Yeah. And it has three main characters who, over the course of a year, love each other and manipulate each other and get in each other's business and end up trading places. There's Geraldine, who is a lovable uh, woman who people have come to worry about very much. She has found herself, she's living in Toronto. She's the only one of the three who has yet to figure out how to make it in New York. So she's sort of left behind and she's been left behind her by her fiance who didn't marry her four years ago when they were supposed oh. to get married. And she's watching Sherlock in bed and yeah. um, she's she's quite sweet and yet a little delusional. And her friends, they work together to to maintain her fantasies about the life that she should be living or would be living if things had gone just a little differently. And so Geraldine maintains very close ties with her two friends who are in New York. One of them is Rachel, who is the mother of a baby and a failed young adult writer who <laughs> is driving a bus where the wheels keep falling off in her life. But she's determined, determined, determined to get to a point where everything feels settled and she feels good about herself. And it's hard, especially because there are people like Sunny, who was once their Peer. They, you know, they were stood shoulder to shoulder when they all worked together at a magazine in their early 20s in Toronto. And Sunny has managed to make herself into this it 
girl, watercolor artist, taste maker, West Village royalty guru. Oh yes, I mean, <laughs> I want to. I want to know what Sunny thinks about and what she like. I want. I would love to surround myself with all of the things that she yes. has anointed as cool. The yoga and the restaurants and the uh, yes, yes, <laughs> and the you know the little the monographs. Yes, <laughs> the only big criticism I've heard about your book is that it hits too close to home. For, Ouch. Yeah. Yes. Uh, for, yes. For, for so many of us who have worked in media since our early 20s. Well. No, I mean, yeah. it, th- that's a compliment, actually. <laughs> well, thank you. It's a little ugly, yes. The, it, yeah. I think it's emotionally ugly, too. So you just, you just um, wrote an op-ed for The Times, which is very directly linked to this to the book about how there's no sanctioned way for friends to break up basically. Yes, it's it was sort of the self-help book as an article that I needed for myself. Mm. It was an article about how to accept the fact that friendships often dissolve, leave you behind yeah. or sometimes you leave them behind, but how to make sense of the fact that people who mattered so much to you might not be in your life in such a strong way anymore. When you look at the trajectory of Sonny and Geraldine and Rachel, yeah, there are so many different outcomes. <laughs> and yeah, so- they have no business being friends in the m- present moment of the story. They're all bound right. together by their past and they all feel this huge sense of obligation to continue to be there for each other. And they're struggling with, I think, trying to redefine their relationships in light of who they have become and who they are trying to become as a single a single yeah as a married as a married who doesn't have a kid Uh I certainly find that there are some friendships that end right then and then there are some that still continue and it takes it's it takes effort it takes it does it takes flexibility Mm -hmm. it takes readjusting and reorienting and often it takes space having and crying and missing each other and absolutely then, and prioritizing know. and yes helping you know I've, I've been trying to be as helpful as possible it's so hard when I became a mother that created some unforeseen tensions with some of my closest friends and it also created some wonderful relationships with people who I would not have been friends with prior to being a mother so but the funny thing is that it's it's not something that you can predict I, I feel like there's no commonality between the friends of mine where our friendship survived motherhood and those that, that didn't from the other side I there is no way I could predict who, who once they had children would still want me to take an active role in their lives. But I think also huge moments like that in people's lives can also serve as a as a excuse or reevaluation yeah. point to I don't know, shut the door and to move on. I think, you know, I've had a very very close friend who, you know, ripped my heart into pieces when I became a mother and we were not friends anymore. And I don't think it was about these changes in my life that right. didn't match her life, I think she had had enough of me. And that's interesting to me, too, because I think for the most part, my friendships have been ones where we get along for a certain amount of time and then nothing bad happens. There's no fight. There's no it's just like we're different people. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's good, right? I mean, yeah, if you weren't is. different people and everyone stayed the same, that would be pathetic. But you yeah, think it's I, true. What a yes. good point. But I think to, you know, in this in the case of Geraldine, I think her two friends have a really hard time accepting her growth because it's so yeah. and I think we all do that to a certain degree. We and, all, you know, think if we watch friends suddenly become, you know, successful on one level or suddenly become pathetic on another level it's it's hard for us to adjust our versions of our of who our friends are in our heads of course and then we have to consult with the other friend right <laughs> about how we feel and let their opinion also influence us yes i mean what else would we talk about <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> right right <laughs> and and i just think it's also so true for people who start out as friends in their 20s that by their 30s they're going to be living in different places, even if they're in the same city. And they're going to have different social circles. And some are going to be wealthy. Yeah, some become fancy. Some become fancy. I did not become fancy. That's okay. You're fancy. I'm like... You're Maris. You're <laughs> you're the coolest. Thank you. You're a one-namer. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Prince. Yeah. Um. It's so hard. One, keep your own identity when when you're trying to get to retain friendships from these other times. And then also, it's easy to feel like you don't know what the hell you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> so so Geraldine becomes successful because she discovers knows. Uh, yeah. No, Go ahead. You say the magical it. world of podcasts. Is that what you were going to say? Indeed, or no? indeed. Yeah, she's an oracle. She, um, you know, she's <laughs> trying initially to make it in the hard and sharp elbowed world of mainstream media, and people are not really—they're opening the door, but only a crack, and she, it's so painful. One of my favorite lines is she tells someone when when they ask what she does, she says, "I go on informational interviews." Yeah, she does a lot of that. <laughs> yes, I mean she's she's bottling up a lot of frustration and sadness and she ends up yes at the time of the book it's set in, in 2017 when podcasts were a lot different than they are even now yeah they were yeah they were you know baby fledgling weird often diy feeling yeah experiments and so she takes that the short stick so to speak mm -hmm. and ends up making i don't know a making something great out of it she you know she uses her podcast to express herself yeah and then it was fun you know writing it just to think of her friends sort of eavesdropping in and listening and trying to gain clues about what her state of mind was like or what she was up to now just and isn't that I do that too when my friends write books right like trying to read between the lines of what they're writing to see how they're doing and I guess that uh, Geraldine's friends were listening yes. to the podcast in the same way. When when you were writing the book, were you imagining what kinds of podcasts you might be on? For me, yeah. no. And it's very strange being on one. And it's I've never seen one or I hadn't seen one. By which I mean, I hadn't seen people creating one. Right. And I had this vision in my head of what a podcast, what a, what a podcast studio looked like and like what went on behind the scenes. <laughs> and I thought a lot about it about, you know, because I listen to podcasts all the time, but I try to think the people like, for instance, we're sitting here at a table in a room where people probably have meetings, meetings during yeah. the day. We're in a, a publishing 
office. Yeah. And there's books all over the walls and we're at this big mahogany or faux mahogany table. And people are probably looking at their phones a lot and wishing they didn't have so many (laughs) meetings. But there's two little microphones and that's it. But I had always imagined it to be like this elaborate contraption, you know, something along the lines of like a television studio with people and so many glass panels and so many knobs and so many headphones. And I've certainly done a bunch of them and I've it's run the gamut for sure of like going to someone's home and sitting on their couch and holding onto a microphone. Yes. To to actually feeling like you're in a TV studio. And did you like that? I've tried to roll with the punches a little bit, you know. But I also love that Geraldine think I I wrote this down because I I loved this because she gets to ask the real questions. Oh gosh, well right, and Geraldine also has this habit of asking people these searching questions in real life. So in the beginning, we see her at dinner parties with her chin in her hand and saying. So what do you think pajamas say about other people? Yeah. Or what is a sign of a great puppeteer? puppeteer? And, <laughs> you know, and I think there's an element of eye rolling around her. Yeah, about why is this person so ponderous? And why is she always thinking things? And then she's able to use that to her great advantage in her show. So I'm, I'm trying to be more ponderous. I'm going to steal one of your questions. Oh, a Geraldine question? A Geraldine question. What is... Friendship. Ouch. I guess that's the answer. (laughs) Friendship is, let's see what it, I know I'm obsessed with it. It is the thing that makes life so worth living and so much fun. And it is the thing that I spend the most amount of minutes and brain cells obsessing over. Friendship is, it's changed over, you know, over life, my life. Of course. And I think it used to be a very codependent relationship yes. that would fend off loneliness. Mm-hmm. And I think as I've gotten older and I've become aware of the fact that there really is no way to nourish all of my friendships to the degree which I ideally would, right. I'm not able to have lunch every single day with every single one of my friends and right. you know and drop by before work and oh, say I hi <laughs> I mean that sounds so great yes and instead I spend so much I spend 90 percent of my time alone and it's horrible you know me too. I mean yeah, too yeah but but we were also I feel like we're taught that if you're a woman that friends can be your family or yes. should be your family yes especially because women are conditioned to be really good at speaking about our feelings yes and if you're in a heterosexual relationship um sometimes it's the conversations with women that you need yeah but I think now friendship is actually something I'm a little more scared of and it's more fragile in the sense that I I'm just so aware of how terrible things can go or how how delicate it is and so for me it's much more of a true appreciation of somebody often from more of a distance than I wish that there was between us but it's an acceptance of them and of the situation the you know the circumstances that we're in yeah and um you've written a book about it so obviously apparently yeah (laughs) so like 
do your friends have a kind of meta sense of like you know have they read your book and either seen themselves or felt a certain way one there's one friend of mine who saw herself and it was hilarious she had she had a request she said there was a line in there that she found very very troubling and i was going through every single thing I'd written that came out of this character's right. voice and, I, you know, so nervous. And it was simply the, a line in which she explains that women are such generous. She's she's a lesbian and she says that women are such generous lovers. And she said, I don't feel comfortable with that. I don't want these generalizations <laughs> in the book. But she was totally fine with the purple dildo scene. Perfect. That was not that inventive. In, you know, um, I, you know, the, it's funny, the response that my friends who've read it are giving me is less about recognizing clues from my life mm-hmm. and more about recognizing things in their lives. Yeah. Such as we were talking about the, you know, it's like the Myers-Briggs it for, sure you know, a certain type of oh modern woman now. Of, you know, are you, right. <laughs> are you, a, are you, a, you know, so that's what I'm hearing the most of. Or also there's just a lot of parallels people are seeing in terms of, oh my gosh, that same thing happened to me or I remember when I felt like a friend of mine was generous but only to a certain degree and I was so resentful that she didn't fully give me all the help I needed right and then of course I I assume um that for your friends who work in media we there's just the way things have changed in 15 years is crazy (laughs) oh my gosh yes and and so I was like you in that I started out in, in publishing, but I was in books. I remember using the photocopier all the time. <laughs> like that was most of my job and filing yes. things my, and faxing things. Yeah, my job, the fax, yes. And my, yes, my first couple jobs were just answering a man's telephone. Yeah. Remember? The, of course. There was, we didn't want, yeah. When I worked at the Paris Review when I was 21, there was one computer that arrived in the office and it sat in the middle on this table and people would take turns standing over this. It was like one of those tiny candy colored Macs. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like Felicity had. Yes. It was pink. <laughs> but everything was written in these enormous books. And and so, so yeah, there's now, no like, slack. There, there's no, there's, I mean. There's no gig economy. There's no gig. I mean, people are getting paid. Yes, that too. Like you could make a living being a writer. Oh, yeah. It was a fabulous, fabulous thing to become. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's such a weird time now. And, and and this, you talk about this a lot in the book, like in this age when things are going digital, I'm using air quotes, and um, magazines are folding and the way that companies even make money is different from the way it used to be. Right, they're sort of branding content on the they're, side. They're, they're sort of content. pimping themselves out in order to. They're suddenly treating these once money makers as their, you know, as their endangered species. You know, <laughs> trying to figure out our places and all of that is is very challenging. Yes, hence we're here on my podcast. I know you wrote a book. <laughs> I know, I know. Who would have thunk? <laughs> Your husband works in book publishing now. Yes, you're the first person who's brought that up. Did he have advice? Did you seek advice? He basically should have his name on the spine of the book. He made me take the book out of a drawer or out of a 
folder on my computer when I hadn't touched it for a year. And he had me print the pages out and he read them and he believed in them and said, you have to do this. So that was, without him, this book would not be in the world. That's lovely. And then did he have specific insights into like the more nitty gritty parts of publishing a book? Like, here's how you deal with the copy editor. <laughs> like, whatever. I say this as yeah. someone whose spouse has a book coming out in September. Yeah. And I have been... I feel like I've been overbearing yeah. in terms of backseat driving. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. He had me take the pages out and he, you know, he sent them to his agent who then sent them to an agent down the hall who took it on. And and yes, he is very, very aware of what everything means. And on that end, at this stage, seven days before the book comes out, he is being very peppy and smiley. Good. And yes, yeah, we had that's... to, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, he wants to know, apparently there's some numbers that I'm able to access. Oh. And I don't want anyone to access. I don't want to. Or like, he could know, but he should talk to your agent or something. Yes, he should, yes. They <laughs> right? could have lunch. They could, have, yeah. they could absolutely have lunch. And then, of course, I have to bring up your other big, what you're known for. Oh, yes. Is is the aesthetic of clog life. Yes. Which was an unexpected detour on my my tr trip here. I'm not going to say journey here. Um, I was laid off from my fancy magazine job mm -hmm. a few years ago, and I was I was a wreck. And I had lunch with an incredibly, incredibly nice, I won't say friend because I'd met her once before, Jessica Winter. She's an editor oh, of The New Yorker. Great. She's so nice. She reached out to me. I mean, this is the thing about thinking about friendship, too. It's just you really never know who. Anyway, she reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to have lunch just because she was so sorry and worried or whatever. Oh, that's and so sweet. at lunch, I said, you know, I I want to write an article about clogs you know if and now that I don't work in a skyscraper and wear high heels I'm becoming a clog person like yeah. this is my new life and and just for listeners Lauren is in fact wearing a lovely pair of clogs right now they're Polish and I don't know yeah they're from <laughs> apparently some some obscure town where they're you know made by hand um and just hearing that I said I need those clogs but anyway the yeah, so I wrote an article for the newyorker.com about my transition to clog right and it hit a nerve. And I think it hit a nerve really because everyone, you know, it's really about losing your job right. and becoming one of those creative people who's trying to style herself to look cool and to look like, you know, she belongs in this new ethereal life where there isn't that much structure, but maybe she's doing very cool things. Who knows what, what a clog person is really doing? <laughs> we hope, I mean... In my head, there's a whole idea of who the clog woman is and what she's into. Is she funny? No, right? I think she's funny. It's that's I don't know why I'm asking that. But I, even I just the way you, you know. said well, the way you said that, the clog woman <laughs> and what she's into. I mean, I think she is a pill, but I think the whole idea of her is hilarious. I, I think know, that's probably true. It sort too. of straddles the line between funny and just um varies, you know, self self-indulgently, self-caringly, organically floaty. In any event, 
um, this article was something a lot of people read and wrote to me about, I think, because it either drove home their fears about losing their purchase on the lives that they'd created for themselves or they'd actually been through it. Right. And I started as a, my friend Eviana Hartman. She's, she said, you have to just start an Instagram account. This is too <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. And so ever since then, every day I've posted at least <laughs> one picture. Now I don't really have to spend very much time, you know, People get curating because right. yes, submissions. I have my, yes, I have my clog elves who send right. me submissions. You know, <laughs> seen on you know the L train or seen in OK magazine <laughs> or yes or something. Something will just sort of feel cloggy, even if it's you know not a right. clog like a Le Creuset pot could go right up there. Absolutely. Yeah. And and in terms of what a clog woman might be reading, aside from how could she oh, so, obviously yeah. right? That's her Bible. That's her Bible. What else is she reading? Oh, she's reading. She's very excited about the new Rachel Cusk essay collection yeah, of course. coming out. I think she's going to be reading Three Women by Lisa Tadeo. Yep. I think she might go through a little back in the past. I think she might check out Iris Murdoch, but then might get distracted and read a cookbook instead. You're like calling me out. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of us. Yeah. Yes. I just bought another Iris Murdoch book that I, I love her. Okay, the send C me a picture. C. Yes, it's wonderful. Send me a picture of you in your clogs. Okay. With Iris. Okay, I will. Ooh, you're listening to How one of my dreams. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think she'd be reading? I like that the idea that she'd be reading Lisa Tadeo because she wants to know. She's not very sexy. She doesn't really have much sensuality but she's very interested in she, she wants to know about what women are like these days even though yes yeah right even though she might be she's she is one yes she's yeah she is one but she spends she spends a lot of money to veil her her true womanliness right or she's it's a different kind of womanhood yeah i like the idea that perhaps She'd be into any NYRB reissues, like sure. whatever, whatever, like the hot book is from the NYRB. She really, I mean, she really likes a good cover too. Of course, I mean, I so mean, the Dud Avocado would be maybe a, a book for her. Oh yeah, she has that. She has the Eve Babbitts. Yeah, 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 definitely. But there's a lot of mainstream fiction that she probably would enjoy, but she's not going to own up to it, and she certainly is going to not pick it up off the table because <laughs> it just wasn't designed by the cool enough the, the right person so now let's switch and let's talk about you me what what do you love to read what what were there any books that informed the way that you wrote how could she i have no idea because i read a lot right you, you know i right, was, you I read like me i didn't make a vision board of the five authors who i wanted this book to bring to mind but I will say, I will say my favorite writer is Barbara Pym. Oh. Rest in peace. Yes. And I read and I reread and I read and I reread her between, I mean, I spend a lot of time reading things that haven't come out yet because I write book criticism. Right. And I get lots of galleys and there's a lot of, you know, checking things out even that I don't write about. But I, I spend most of my reading time doing that. But Barbara Pym is the... She is you know, the cornerstone of my soul. And, I, you know, she's very 
I would say morbidly a little sad and a little witty and I I, lo- I love it. If 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 someone were to start out reading their first Pim, uh-huh. What would you recommend? Well, I like her last one, but I think it might turn people off because it's actually quite morbid. It's called a Quartet in Autumn and it's hilarious but also really depressing. It's about four It's also an office comedy mm. a bit like this. It's mm-hmm. about four people who are on the verge of retirement and they work in an office in London and it's unclear throughout the entire book what their company does or what they do. Mm. It's just known that they're not needed around anymore and everyone is ready for them to move on to the end, the last chapter of their lives. And they are each other's, I would say, closest friends, although they have very, they know very little about each other. Um, I think I'm too emotionally fragile to yeah, read that right It's now. like the, the literary, literary equivalent of eating something strange out of Tupperware in a public <laughs> space. Um, so her, I would say her her jolly, jo- the jolly starter pin would be Excellent Women. Excellent which, Women. Yes. Yes. Cool. Have you not read her yet? Nope. I'm delighted. I hope you like her. Thank you. Yeah. Is there anything else that you've been watching or reading or listening to that you want to talk about? Oh my God. You don't have to. Yeah. I mean, I'm just on Twitter. Um, no. Anyone you've been following on Twitter who you want to talk about? The one, no, the, on Insta, I like the, um, there's an Instagram account that makes me very happy. What is it? It is called, it's one of those grab bag contribution accounts where people send in photographs of human beings standing around in very strange positions do you see it? oh my god i love it is it it called people it's called people standing yeah it is so strange and hilarious and i love how un unvein it is you know for for you know on instagram it's so refreshing to just see people's ugly bodies yes Not just like getting their best angles with their best selfie faces. Yeah, yeah but I've been what I've I've been reading. I mean, so there I've been reading books that are not at all old. They're quite new, but to me, because I right. tend to read in the future, these I've so I I've, I've currently I've been taking a little breather from book criticism with work on you know my book coming mm-hmm. out, and so I I have a a small pile of you know, the ones that got away and that I haven't read yet. Right. So An American Marriage is oh, yeah. on the pile and The Great Believers. Yep. Ooh, you'll yeah. enjoy them. Have you read them? Or? Yes. You'll enjoy both of them after book tour okay. or during book tour. I don't know how you're choosing to, to read. Yeah. Those are good ones to go back to, though. Yeah. Is there, yeah. There's so, I mean, it's it's so hard, right? When you, like, you know, I mean, it's like I a conveyor know. belt going by and it's just too fast to grab all the candies off of. It's, I mean, what do you do with your galleys? Because I, I found that what when should, I started... What should I do with them is the question. I Well, that's also a question. I, I found that when I started working from home and receiving all my galleys at home, I would receive about 10 a day. Yes, that sounds right. And as much as I wanted to put them all in boxes and bring them to housing works one day, I could not, <laughs> it would become like a third job basically. So, so I put them on the street. Oh, okay. I do too. I was, I see on, I see a lot of um, book publicists on Twitter do not like this practice. I, however, see myself as 
contributing to my local community. I think so. You know, the people who I meet on my block, when I finally meet them, they say, oh, you're the book lady. Yeah, Thank you so much. Too. Yeah. You know, it's and hard to feel a, like it's a bad thing to be sharing a stories. wonderful feeling. And um, I also like watching what goes first. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Or what's the, the big, last. the quote unquote big book never goes first. Interesting. In my on my block, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, gluten free, the keto oh, right. books. Those those actually go immediately. Those that's a little that will go before Lisa today. I was saying. Right. right. That's very funny. Uh, well, we won't tell you where we live, but um, if if you happen to walk by, you might. Yes, and if anyone wants to put my galley out on the street, I would be very honored. I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 